Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Mark Schaefer. And we're going to talk about a concept of marketing reimagined, why we must change the way that we are doing what we're doing as marketers. I think you're going to find a lot of value in today's show. If you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery that I brought to him. Tell us what it is, Eric. This is a cool tool that you just showed me (laughs) that removes the background from any image. And uh, this is amazing. It's a web-based tool, and it does it automatically. It does it in five seconds, and you can either upload the photo or enter a URL, which that right there is the secret sauce to this, I think. So, Explain what happens when you put in that URL. Yeah, so you you click enter a URL, you drop in the URL of the image, and it pops over the original image, and then to the right of it, in processing, again, in like less than five seconds, boom, the background of the uh, subject, you know, the background behind the subject in the image is removed and made transparent, and the foreground image, uh, person, place, thing, et cetera, is right there, and then you can download that image and then start working with it. To demonstrate this to Eric, I found a picture of Bruce Springsteen standing uh, behind, like, uh, in front of a picture with, uh, like, People magazine all behind it. And then in seconds, it cropped Bruce Springsteen out so that I could bring it into Photoshop and put a different background into it if I wanted to. I also took a picture of three people standing uh, outside with a, a, a bridge behind them and poof, it popped out the background perfectly. I mean, just anybody who's done Photoshop work. And there was another picture of a guy with fuzzy hair and stuff. And like, it's not easy to go crop around and crop out their hair and stuff. And this is using artificial intelligence. It is 100% free. Um, and boom, you download the final image and it's done. The only, the only challenge to the tool is I don't think it's going to, if you have a super high-res image, I don't think it's going to output a super high-res version of it for free. But it's definitely one of the cooler utilities I've ever seen. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I've seen other tools that do something near what this is doing, but nothing uh, as simple and as powerful and web-based at the same time. And they have an API that allows people to use this um, technology with the tools that you know that you have developed if you're a developer. But what's really cool is it it's somehow using AI to know people's bodies and faces, and that everything else doesn't belong in the picture, and it just it's smart. It figures out how to trace it, 
pops it out and bada boom, you got yourself a killer transparent image. And that can be really valuable if you are doing marketing and you happen to have a, um, a color background on your website, but the picture, uh, for whatever reason, the background of the picture just doesn't look right. Well, when you generate these transparent PNGs that this thing is outputting and you put that over the back of a color background, it'll blend in perfectly. Or if you want, you could get super creative and completely change out the background on some of the pictures. So if you've ever had like something strange happen in the background, like there's a little airplane or a car that just kind of ruined that perfect shot. Well, you could take another completely different image, put it into the background using third-party tools and take this transparent image over the top of it and do pretty cool stuff. I don't know. What other applications are there, Eric? Gosh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different uh, examples on the site of removing people from the original image and then putting a new background uh, in front of them that maybe fits the uh, you know scenario better. So I don't, I'm trying to think of examples yeah, and, here. And what this tool does not do is it doesn't make it easy for you to put in a new background. That is where you're going to need you know to get creative with with your editing because you're going to need to use a tool like you know Photoshop or whatever that knows how to do you know the pop out the background images. But the examples they're showing on the website are so good that you you can't tell, right, Eric, that what that shot wasn't taken at that location, right? No, you, you can't tell at all. It's, like green, and, it's uh, like green screen almost, isn't it? Exactly. So I want to add another extra feature to this. And while you were talking, I pulled my phone out, went to the site and did it on my mobile device and it works just as well. Really? So you can do this on the fly. Like you could do this on your mobile browser, on your phone, by just going to the site, which we've not said yet, which is remove.bg. Go there on your phone and select a photo from your roll, camera roll on your phone. And I picked a, I picked a picture of my son standing there in front of the Christmas tree, and it removed everything but my son from the picture. And now I can download that and have it on the go. So there you go, remove.bg, which hypothetically stands for remove background. So um, glad we could share that with you guys. I hope you enjoy it. Catch you next time, Eric. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with Mark Schaefer. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Mark Schaefer. If you don't know who Mark is, he is a social media strategist and author of multiple books, including Known, The Tao Twitter, and The Content Code. 
He also co-hosts the Awesome Marketing Companion podcast, of which I am a regular listener. His latest book is called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. Mark, welcome back to the show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. This is always one of my favorite things to do. Well, today, Mark and I are going to explore a new way to think about marketing. And if there's someone who's doing a lot of thinking about marketing, <laughs> it is you, Mark. <laughs> I just can't stop. <laughs> so, so uh, weird that way. Hey, it's okay. I mean, the world needs people that think, right? Most of us, unfortunately, don't. So um, no offense to my listeners, because they're all deep thinkers. I know they are. It's everyone who doesn't listen to this podcast. Mm. So let's talk about what's wrong with marketing today, because we know that there's a lot of things wrong with marketing. So what's your perspective? What's going on today? Well, I think that that is the question. And that's why I write books. As you mentioned, I've, I've written, this is my seventh book, and I've never had a plan to write a book. But I write a book when I see a problem that I just don't understand. And I, I get obsessed with it. I'm like a dog with a tennis ball. And the problem I saw this time, Mike, is that Everywhere I went, all around the world, big companies, small companies, marketers were just saying that I feel stuck. The marketing just isn't working like it used to. We feel like we're falling behind. And sort of the tipping point came for me. I was in a meeting of uh, chief marketing officers, and they brought me in to this special meeting to be a facilitator. These are CMOs from big companies. And they went around the table talking about what is the biggest problem we're facing today. And every one of them said, we are falling so far behind. And I almost laughed out loud because this is what we hear everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And these are the people with the most money and the most resources. So I thought, what is going on here? And my original hypothesis was they aren't keeping up with technology. So I thought, you know, that might be an interesting book. How do you keep up with technology? But when I dove in and started doing the research on this problem, technology wasn't the problem. It was part of the problem. But most of the problem is that while we've been doing our thing and we've been marketing and we've been doing social media and we've been creating content and maybe we iterate and we do a little bit different year to year, our consumers have moved away from us. What they want how they discover products, how they interact, how they share, what they expect from our companies, it's moved away. And what I found was so stunning after a couple months of getting into this, Mike, that it made me really think about what does it mean to be a marketer today? It was that profound. All of this is, is backed up by research in my new book. And some of the best research came from McKinsey. And there was this one study, it's a very famous study, that shows that two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. So it's occurring th not through our advertising and our press releases and maybe our social media campaigns, but how consumers connect to each other through social media, through reviews, through user-generated content, which is likely on social media, even through influencers. And when you think about when you and I were growing up in business, businesses were really in control. The only way customers would learn about our products is because of us, because of our ads. There were three networks, couple radio stations, a local newspaper. We got it covered. Today, the control has moved 
to the customers. The customers are the marketing department. Now, here's the kicker. That marketing research done by McKinsey was done in 2009. So we've known about this for a long time, and they just updated this research last year. They looked at 125,000 customer journeys, and they've basically said the sales funnel is gone. Loyalty is gone. Uh, people are just they're, – they're shop around customers. 87% of our customers are shop around customers. And it's just like, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Customers don't want to be loyal. They're resistant to being loyal. That's what I've always done as a marketer. So it requires an entirely new way of thinking about marketing. And that's really what the book is about. So what I'm hearing you saying is that marketing departments often don't change and they're ignorant of the fact that their customer has changed enormously. Is that what I'm hearing you say? It's very true. And I'll give you an example that's, uh, that I'm sure you can relate to. I'm sure you see this a lot as well. I've been working the last year or so with a Fortune 100 company. They brought me in as a consultant. In 2010, they were very smart. They created a social media department to create content to send out to their affiliates all over the country. So as part of the strategy I was working on for them, I was out talking to these affiliates all around the, the nation. And they said, this social media stuff we get, it's worthless. It doesn't work. No traction, no engagement. And you know they keep doing it because they built a department to do it, mm. but they haven't changed. They haven't looked up. They haven't seen what the, what's going on in the world. And the fact of the matter is, Mike, that research everywhere is showing that trust in companies, trust in brands, trust in advertising has declined 10 years in a row. It's at an all-time low. And who do people trust? Each other. And so we've had a lot of focus on the content and the story. And what I'm finding is who tells the story is might be more important than the story <laughs> because people trust each other. They trust their friends. They trust their neighbors. They trust these uh, influencers. And we have to think about the customer is the marketing department. Now, how do we get over there? How do we get over to that two-thirds? Now, wait. Before we go there, let's not yeah. go there just yet. I want to I figure out how in the world we lost track. What distracted marketers to not look well, up and not see that the whole world was changing right in front of them, although maybe well, not instantly? Well, the big, the big thing is probably two big things. One, obviously, is, is technology. And this is one of the things that may, that's made me so sad about the opportunities of social media marketing. If you think about when you and I were starting out, we were both there at the beginning when social media was starting to be used as a mainstream marketing opportunity. And people were really focusing on the conversations and the audience. Community the managers was the title of most people. Community. Right. It was all about community. And now what companies do, they try to take shortcuts. They try to automate it. They try to use algorithms. And they've taken the social out of social media. Mm. It's become soulless. It's just become another place to repurpose ads or to weaponize influencers. And so we've become intoxicated with technology, not because it's bad, but because it's good. It's so easy. 
It's so cheap. Let's find the marketing easy button by buying more and more technology for our MarTech stack. And meanwhile, we've lost our voice. We've lost our soul. And then the other thing, I, I think people just, it's hard to change. And I work across different organizations. And you know what? Finance doesn't change that much. And accounting doesn't change that much. But to be in marketing and be successful, you've got to be a change junkie. You've got to be on top of all these things that are happening, and you have to love it. And that's the only way you stay relevant. And you know what? That doesn't happen in a lot of places. They create a content strategy or a social strategy based on something that they read on Social Media Examiner in 2014. Well, guess what? That probably doesn't work anymore. You know what's fascinating about this is – I have been tracking this industry for 11 years. You know, uh, later this summer, we'll be coming out with our 11th annual social media marketing industry report. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been surveying thousands and thousands of marketers for years. And back in 2008, 2009, what do you think the biggest problem was that was faced by social media marketers? If you could just guess, what do you think it is? Sales. You're close. Measurement. Yes. Return on investment. Yeah. Now, in 2018, guess same. what it was? Same. Exactly the same. Yeah. But here's the big difference. In the early days, back in 2008, 2009, everyone was all focused on making investments because they could see clearly that this was the future. Mm-hmm. And and it was less. they were less concerned about tracking that ROI. But then as time went on, um, the internet marketing crowd started to kind of infiltrate, if you will, the social media marketing crowd. And the internet marketing crowd has always been about simplifying, automating, removing the human element so that you can scale. And what ended up happening was the people that came into the social media industry, which were often from the PR world, which were used to the human-to-human communication, they ended up um, kind of adopting because they were told they've got to now track and prove their existence. And along the way, I think that all of a sudden the new way, quote unquote, was like marketing now became the sales department somewhere along well, the line. What do you think about yeah. that? And, and, and guess what, Mike? It's, it's going to become even harder to measure, not easier because you know, relationships, connections, advocacy. They're not trackable. <laughs> it's hard to measure. And there's a great quote in this book. I fell in love with this advertising agency called Giant Spoon. Giant Spoon was just named Advertising Agency, Breakout Agency of the Year by Adweek Magazine. Now, get this. Giant Spoon's motto is, we're an advertising agency that aspires to never make an ad. Mm. And they were just named Ad Agency of the Year. What are they trying to do? They're trying to create experiences. They're trying to create relationships between, real relationships between brands to share, connect to values connect to uh, fun, to connect to experiences, to connect to meaning. And the one of the founders of Giant Spoon said to me, you can either keep pace with the speed of culture or you can measure. You probably can't do both. I love that quote because I think there's a lot of wisdom behind it. And I hate that quote because look, I'm a measurement junkie too. I love data. And I want to be responsible. I want to be able to show that we're making progress. And the measurement will catch up. But you can sit in your silo and keep chunking out that social media content because you can measure likes. Or you can look at the way the world really is today 
and come up with a new plan and a new mindset, but it's going to take some risk and it's going to take some courage, but you really don't have a choice. And this is it. This is so important. But what we need to be analyzing is how has consumer behavior changed? Mm-hmm. Where are our customers now? What are they doing? What are they interested in? Not what have we done and why hasn't it worked or what can we do to make it work? It's it's really like a paradigm shift. So why did you decide to call this book Marketing Rebellion, by the way? Naming this book was the hardest creative effort of my life. <laughs> it took me a year to come up with the title, these two words for the book. But I had a, a, a lot of different titles. I think the one that came in second place was something like Marketing Reimagined. Mm. But I was I was talking to some people about Marketing Rebellion. And as I was talking about it, the energy just started flowing. And they said, Mark, you got to call it Marketing Rebellion because that is where your heart is. And it is a rebellion. Number one, it's a consumer rebellion against marketers that's been happening ever since we've had marketing and advertising. And today people are blocking us out. They're, they're skipping us. They're avoiding us everywhere way we can. They're subscribing to ad-free platforms. But it's also – They're also developing algorithms that make sure our messages don't get through, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and, and when you think about it, Mike, now we're developing algorithms to beat their algorithms. <laughs> so they're saying, we really don't want to opt into your ads, and our solution is send them more ads. How stupid is that, right? Right. To, to join that two-thirds – we can't buy our way in. We have to be invited. We have to earn our way in. And it, and it, and it's it's a that is a rebellion too. It's a rebellious new attitude. It's a rebellious new mind shift. It's an entirely new way to think about marketing. But it's the only way we can think about marketing today because that's where our customers are. B2B and B2C by the way. Talk about the picture in the first page of your book. <laughs> well, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, Mark, what's the point of this rebellion? Every rebellion has a, has a goal. And I, I, my answer was, in my mind, I see this mass of people knocking on the door of these companies who are spamming us and doing robocalls and telling us the, you know, and, and bombarding us with ads in places where we don't want these ads. And they're holding up this big banner that says, respect me. That is what people want. The consumers are holding up the sign that says, respect cons- me. That we want to be respected. Our time, our information, our privacy. And companies are doing the opposite of that. And so I, I, I did kind of a bold move. Instead of having a title on the front page of the book, when you open up the book, you see this, this woman in a crowd holding up a sign that says, respect me, because I wanted to make a statement. Right, the first thing you see when you open the book. Okay, so the marketing rebellion is accepting the fact that our customers are not accepting our marketing. and uh, as customers are in control. Yeah, they're in control. So um, what is the solution? How do we, you know, as marketers listening right now, how do we deal with this? Well, I think what we need to do is is look at, first of all, what is marketing supposed to be and what do our customers want? I think that makes a lot of sense. And when I first decided to go into marketing, 
I was a junior in college. I was taking my first marketing class, and I had this textbook, like most of us did, in a marketing class by Dr. Philip Kotler. And Dr. Kotler described marketing as the combination of psychology, sociology, and anthropology. Now, now doesn't that just sound like the coolest career in the world? Marketing is all things human. It's all things human. But how many marketers would we talk to that would describe marketing that way today? It's all things tech. We're obsessed with tech. We've got to get back to this human connection. We have to look at this two-thirds of our customers who don't want to be connected to us. They want to own their own customer journey. They own the sales funnel, not us. And all our focus has been on what's the arc of our story. Nobody cares. Our, our focus has been me-centric instead of them. Our focus has been on what's our why. Let's start with our why. It's not about our why. It's about their why. We need to go over there. We need to be out there. We need to listen to them. So I interviewed, oh, I don't know, Mike, oh, dozens, dozens of different marketing leaders at different companies who I really look up to. And, and I developed this framework of there's these five constant human truths that get us back to this human-centered marketing. People want to belong. They want to be respected. They want to be loved. They want to protect their self-interests. They want to find meaning in their lives. And we, need to, we need to figure this out because that's what people are out there crying out for. They don't want more spam. They want to be connected to us in meaningful ways. And we, we already see this happening with some of the best companies out there, but everybody needs to start to get on board. Okay. So belonging, love, self-interest, respect, and meaning. That's what I have down in my notes. It might not be in the same order that you said it, but those are the five major truths. You're a, you're a good note taker, sir. What I want to do is skim through a couple of them and go deep mm -hmm. on a couple of them. Okay. Um, Let's start with the belonging one and let's go a little deep on that because I feel like social media and belonging can kind of be tied together a little bit. So talk Absolutely. to us, why do people Absolutely. want to belong and, and maybe what can we, you know, what can we learn about this? Well, here's something that all of us should be aware of. What just not even just as marketers, but just as human beings, there was a study done. Uh, it's the, it's the longest health study done in the history of the human race. It, they've been studying the same group of people for more than 80 years, and now they're studying their children and their grandchildren. And they wanted to look at every aspect of their life, the, the, how much money they made in their education and their health and their lifestyle and, the, and their food and what determines a long and happy life. And they came up with a conclusion that what really matters is stable, consistent relationships. The conclusion of the study was loneliness kills. And we have a loneliness crisis in our society. Depression, isolation, loneliness are double digit higher than it was even 10 years ago. There is such a crisis, Mike, the UK government has named a ministry of loneliness to fight isolation and depression. Now, our customers are are crying out to belong. And companies can help people do that. It's happening. 
in our world. They, they're, they're seeking community. They're seeking relationship with others. And the companies that are really doing this, they're putting the branding and the selling, it's secondary to the community. It's all about serving the community, rewarding the community. And that builds eventually builds loyalty to a brand. It almost doesn't make sense. The less you talk about yourself and the less you sell, the more you sell. That's what happens in this sort of belonging mindset of marketing. Can you give us an example? Two of my favorite examples in the book. One is Yeti. Yeti, you know, the the, the coolers, these coolers that are out there. Okay. So one of the things I, I, I talk about in the book, if, if you want to find companies that are creating community, look at stickers on laptops. Hmm. Because if you put a sticker on a laptop, you're basically saying, this is a company that's not going to let me down. I'm shouting it from the rooftops. Look at, are they wearing branded hats? Are they wearing branded shirts? And so I started seeing people wearing hats and shirts from this Yeti, this company that makes coolers. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Why in the world would you wear a hat for a cooler of all things? But when you get into it, they've created this amazing community based on the love of the outdoors. And they put the, the, their products absolutely in the service of these people who love the outdoors. So I look at big companies. I look at small companies. So Patagonia companies. would probably be another example of a company that does something who? like that. Patagonia? Are you familiar absolutely. with Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Another one who's like all about the outdoors, right? And people love wearing Patagonia hats because right. they believe in that. Right. Another example I use, uh, I, I look at big companies, small companies, and I look even at an individual person. And this is a friend, a mutual friend of ours, Pat Flynn. I saw Pat Flynn speak at Social Media Marketing World last year, uh, the closing keynote, and he just blew me away. And then what blew me away even more was the long line of people waiting for him who had all been sitting in the front row because they just love this guy. I thought, he has got something magical going on there. And so I interviewed Pat for the book, and he, he said it, you know, he, he's just a great example of just being absolutely – generous. He said, community is a byproduct of paying attention to people. People are screaming for this. Their hearts are yearning for this. Just pay attention to me. I saw this amazing statistic that millennials, they feel rewarded. 50% say they feel rewarded when their friends recognize them on social media. Over 60% felt rewarded when their favorite brand recognized them on social media. Hmm. It was more important to be recognized by a company, even than their friends. All the signals are out there. And by the way, you know, we're talking about loyal, you know, belonging and community here. In my book, I've got, it's a, it's a big map. It's, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm giving you options based on the real world and real life. Maybe community is for you. Maybe it's not. It's certainly working for social media examiner. It may not work for a company that's making lumber or bricks. So you, you've got to be smart. And I emphasize that through the whole book. Just go into the world with your eyes open and make smart decisions for your company based on what is. And I'm glad you mentioned Social Media Examiner because we do and we are aware that um, connections are a big part of what we do 
with our conference. We actually try to weave it into our market messages. We try to say like, find your tribe, you know, um, no longer do you need to like work in a, you know, place where nobody understands you or speaks your language, come to a place where everybody gets you, you know, and that works for us. And it's one of our core value propositions for our tribe, if you will. It's the friendliest conference on earth. (laughs) <laughs> it never, really is i like that i've never really heard that before it's the friendly it is i feel like i'm at home so okay um i'll let you pick the next one uh one more that we'll deep dive in you pick you know of the remaining four which one do you want to talk about and well, then we'll the, just the, skim the, the surface the, of the, the rest the, the thing that is really igniting a lot of people today and i think a lot of what is going to bring a lot of value from this new book is i've got this chapter and it's probably one of the first it's probably the book the first book to really address this idea of values-based marketing. And the thing that was fascinating to me was as I was writing this chapter and immersed in all this research, the whole thing with Nike and Colin Kaepernick was exploding. And it was a fascinating time for me because I was looking at the same research that Nike had to be looking at and I could see exactly what they were doing. And a lot of marketers were upset, and a lot of marketers for were those surprised. that don't, for those that maybe aren't in the United ah, States. Good. Explain, yeah, explain what what you're talking about. All right, so Nike, uh, I believe it was September or August, they announced a new campaign and a new product line based on a collaboration with a controversial NFL American Football League quarterback. He chose to protest. Uh, he, he used to the national he, he anthem, stood, right? <laughs> yeah, he he would kneel down for the American national anthem as a way to bring attention to social activism, to civil rights. Right. And some people were saying he's a hero. He was very polarizing because some people say, "Why can you? How can you be so disrespectful to our country and to our flag by kneeling for our national anthem?" There are other ways to protest. Right. So Nike did a tremendous amount of research. And our customers today, here, here, here's one of the most amazing statistics in the whole book, Mike. This research was published at Harvard Business Review that showed all these activities that, are, that companies are engaging in to create loyalty, you know, content and engagement and impressions and connections. None of them had a long-term impact on loyalty today. The only thing they measured was shared meaning. Shared meaning was the only factor, which means if you find a company that stands up for what you believe in, you're going to be loyal to that company. You're going to bring others into that company and you're going to pay more, as much as 25% more. And we see many companies today. Uh, One of the most famous is American Eagle. It's a big jean retailer that's found in many American shopping malls. Their entire marketing effort is based on anti-gun legislation and gay rights and civil rights and empowering um, gay youth. That is a very unusual way to sell jeans. By the way, you didn't say what Nike ended up doing, by the way. Oh, so Nike rolled out this campaign and um, there was an explosive reaction. Their stock market valuation dropped four billion dollars in wow. one day oh my gosh and and they had this uh this controversial figure in the ad right and they were basically saying we stand right. by you right i mean so they were they this were thing, alienating a percentage of their audience and they were empowering another but another but, they, chunk. but 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 they they ran the numbers because 90 percent right. of their customers 
are urban males under the age of 30 that have enough money to buy $200 sneakers. And they're not watching football probably. <laughs> well, maybe they're watching football or maybe they're not, but they have a liberal view that's going to stand by Colin Kaepernick. And Nike ran the numbers. They knew there was going to be a backlash, but they also knew this is the only thing we can do. We've got to take a stand and it's got to be bold. Here's something I'll bet you didn't know, Mike. Adidas was also in negotiation with Colin Kaepernick. Hmm. He chose Nike. Now Nike was first. What's Adidas going to do? Right? So there's all there's kind of a first mover advantage to this, right? It's a very, very complicated issue, but it's a very, very significant marketing well, let's say it's an, it's an aspect of marketing today we must consider, we must take seriously. And by the way, taking a stand doesn't have to be polarizing. It can be something that's uniting, that's unifying, that's uplifting. Um, like Dove, like Dove has done this with women, right? Where exactly. Dove with, is a beautiful example. Yeah. Heineken is one of my favorite examples. Coca-Cola has, has done some things around this. And so you can lift people up. And again, uh, the, one of the things that bothers me, Mike, is there's a lot of blog posts out there now that are saying every company has to take a stand. People want to know where you stand on the politics. And that is not true. This is a, this is a perilous path to go down that takes a lot of strategy, a lot of research. It has to be right. And once you make a decision, there's no going back or you're going to become a laughingstock. You're going to become a meme. Yeah, we should so, mention that some people burn their Nikes in public, you know, so it definitely got, you know, like yeah. like it did polarize their audience. But I guess but, – but, but I should also say yeah. their stock fell $4 billion yeah. in one day. Seven days later, it was $3 billion higher than where it started. Exactly. So I guess what I'm hearing you say is that if your if you do the research and it seems like your audience, the core part of your audience that you want to attract more of or retain holds a certain value, then maybe it's time for you to publicly stand for that value. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, it is. It's one of the reasons why brands are aging out. Uh, there's great research in this book, in this new book that I've published, that talks about what millennials think of some brands versus what baby boomers think of, of some brands. And the big difference is, are they taking a stand? If mm. they take a stand, boom, you've got the attention of the baby boomers. That's why you see Dove and some of the older brands starting to take this seriously. But I think there's a lesson in there for all of us. We at least need to approach this with our eyes wide open and make the right decision for our business. Earlier, you talked about this visual that we can all visualize of a woman holding up a sign that said, respect me, right? Mm -hmm. um, how can we respect our customer? Well, I, I think the thing that we all have to just look at with humility is we're all customers. We're all consumers. And it, it just gets back to treating people the way they want to be treated, just to connect to people in a human way. And the, the term I'm using in my book is a human-centered approach. So today, I mean, we used to think about social media or a lot of our campaigns as mass marketing, right? And today, especially on social media, people have self-selected into like-minded islands. So there's a social media examiner island of people who love social media examiner, and they hang out together. 
There's a like-minded island of outdoorsmen. There's a like-minded island of wine drinkers. And businesses are thinking, oh, I'd love to get on that island. If I just show them enough ads, I'll get on there. Doesn't work anymore. You got to be invited to the island. What would people say? Okay, you can come into our island, but you really need to treat us like friends. You need to respect us. Don't intercept us. Don't annoy us. Don't show up without an invitation. That just seems rude to us. Add value. Show us new opportunities in the world. Help us live a better life, and you'll be invited to the island. And those are just core principles that I think we're losing with our obsession with technology and automation, and we've got to get back to our hearts. We've got to get back to what Dr. Kotler taught me 30 years ago, psychology, sociology, anthropology, marketing is all things human. Well, if we think about this for a second, some people listening right now are like, well, that sounds great, but how do I square that with my job as a marketer? Because my job is to market the product, right? How in the world do I get invited to the island if I'm if my job is to market the product? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, it, it is, this isn't going to be for everybody and for a simple reason. Because the thing that really has to drive the change in the company is the culture. And the culture is driven from the top. There's no such thing as a grassroots organizational change. There are a lot of leaders out there who don't want to change. They want to hold on to any marketing that they can measure and put in a dashboard for their monthly staff meeting. It doesn't matter where the customers are. They just want to you know, check the box for their monthly staff meeting. To make this change, it's going to take courage. It's going to take vision. Not everybody has that. It's not going to work in every company. Not everybody's going to be like Nike. Not every company is going to be like Pat Flynn or, the, or like Yeti. But if you're going to survive and thrive in this environment where the customers are in control of your marketing, you've got to make the shift. You don't have a choice. If I think about the way that I've done this, because I do know, I hear from a lot of people that my company has earned the respect of the people in my industry. Um, the way that we do it is first and foremost, we every year make sure we survey thousands and thousands of our prospects and customers to get to the core of what are the challenges that they're facing today. That's the first thing we, we ask them, we talk to them, we talk with them. Secondly, we produce what appears to be an endless supply of free content to help them solve those problems. So for example, last year it was all about Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to learn how to, how to, how to do more with Facebook ads in 2018 because they realized that the algorithms were going to stop their organic reach. So I had endless people on this podcast talking about Facebook ads. We produced constant content on the blog about Facebook ads. We had sessions about it at our conference, you know, everywhere that was our focus. And I think by giving people what they want for nothing, in most cases, I think you earn their respect because you've now given them kind of a hand. You've given them a help along the way in an area where they have a serious problem. And then what ends up happening is like, they're like, okay, um, this company, Social Media Examiner, has been instrumental in my job or my career. I want to um, let others know about them when those other people are seeking this kind of information. So they've all of a sudden turned from consumers of the content to evangelists of the content. I don't know. I mean, is that part of the path? Well, and you're missing an important point. You bring them together in a live environment. 
And that's where the real magic happens. That really becomes community. And one of the things I found out, Mike, you know, talking to Pat Flynn, there's, a, there's an amazing company in Boston called Wistia that I profile in the book. A, a flipping point, a tipping point for many companies trying to establish community is to bring people together, meet them face to face, have them see each other, have them begin to like each other, love each other, have them see you, understand you, have their pictures taken with you. Um, bringing people together is a very, very powerful thing that creates uh, true community and advocacy. I'm with you 100%. And I know, I mean, I'm good friends with Pat. I know that he's done, for years he's done local meetups. Whenever he goes to mm -hmm. events, he would have like a little meetup, you know, mm -hmm. like in a restaurant or something like that. And, and it was just, I remember going to those meetups and meeting people that I am now friends with as a result of Pat just deciding to go ahead and host something like that. Yeah. So, and as a result, I credit that connection to Pat. And that is part of the reason why he has such a loyal community. And anyone can do this in any industry, right? You just go to an event, get a gathering together at that event, and all of a sudden magic happens. And that's part of the thing that we've been talking about. One of our themes here is you can't automate that. You can't algorithm that. Right. You've got to roll up your sleeves and get out in these cities where the work is really being done and the people are really living and you've got to meet them and you've got to see them. And that's when the magic really starts to happen. The brand new book is called Marketing Rebellion. Where do we get that book, Mark Schaefer? And where it can, and where can people find Amazon, out more about you? Amazon, in paper, on Kindle, on audio. And geez, by golly, what a value. <laughs> so did you record the audio podcast yourself? I did. I did. People's, people seem to, you know, I don't like my own voice, but people seem to love my voice. And I, <laughs> I sort of have a passion and a sense of humor in the book that I think comes across that, you know, wouldn't come across if other people had done it. Uh, so yeah, it's, that's, that's hard work narrating a book, but people seem to like it. Marketing Rebellion, get it anywhere you can get books. And Mark, if they want to you contact you or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, it's real easy. You can find everything out about me and find my blog, my podcast, my books at businessesgrow.com. Businesses, plural, businessesgrow.com. Mark Schaefer, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and insights with us. Thank you, Mike. It's been a delight. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of today's episode. And if there was anything that we mentioned and you want the notes, all you got to do is go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 340. This now brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.